I've been putting it off. But today, I'm going to tell you about the time I saw a ghost. Even though I moved to the United States when I was little, we'd go to Mexico every year. And there was one cousin in particular whose house I'd get to visit for a week or two at a time. Now, this cousin lived in an old mining colony. Everyone that lived there was an employee of this particular mine. The colony consisted of three or four streets that ran parallel to each other, and I think they turned in and connected at the ends. Some of the houses were smaller, some were bigger, and, apparently, the house you were given to live in correlated with your position within the mining company. And this is why, as my uncle moved up within the company, every few years I'd go down to visit, they'd be in the new house. The colony is small, has its own schoolhouse, but once you get to high school, you go to the nearest city. And this particular city has a bad reputation, spiritually speaking. Abnormally high levels of devil worship, ghost stories, demonic activity, and supposedly even a few cases of dogs being skinned alive. Even though he'd moved away from there, my cousin was invited back for his high school prom. This coincided with my trip to Mexico, and while I didn't go to the prom, I was invited to go to the reception afterward. And let me tell you, it wasn't at all what I was used to. At the time, I'd been to a prom or two, but this was very different. The drinking age in Mexico is 18, and so at this reception, you have waiters going around bringing buckets of beer and different types of alcohol to all the different tables. And then afterwards, a lot of the moms had gotten together to make menudo for everyone to come over and sober up. It was definitely a very different experience for me. Because by the time this would end, it would be too late to go back to my cousin's house. We had arranged to stay at this little inn, and it was located in that mining colony. We got to the room. It was late. We went to bed. I woke up, well past the middle of the night, to see a man standing over my bed. I guess not really standing, he was in the middle of taking a step towards me. But then when that foot should have hit the ground, he was gone. Right there, before my eyes, disappeared. He had a shaved head, completely bald. Yellowish skin, no shirt on. He had old baggy pants that were tied on with a rope instead of a belt. But the creepiest thing of all is that my eyes just opened suddenly. Not like waking up naturally. You know, like when something wakes you up. And as soon as my eyes were open, I was making eye contact with him. Direct eye contact. One detail I found particularly strange is that that yellowish skin, it had little sparkles scattered around here and there. Like he had little bits of glitter on him. I lay there staring at the spot where this man had just been. Part of me wanted to pull the covers over my head because I was terrified to see him again. But part of me did not want to stop looking because if he did reappear, the thought of him being there and me not seeing it, me not knowing, was a lot scarier. I lay there in the dark, waiting for the sun to come up. Eventually it did. When my cousin finally woke up, I told him what had happened, 
and there was no doubt. There was no telling me it was just a dream. He simply accepted it and proceeded to tell me about how haunted this area was and everything that his family and his neighbors had seen and gone through in that very neighborhood. We drove home that day and he told his parents what had happened. My uncle simply nodded and said that that yellowed glittering skin was consistent with the look of the miners after they came up from a hard day's work. I had no way of knowing that. As for the stories of what they'd seen, what their neighbors had seen, what their family had seen, I'm going to share those with you next week. I'm Albie Robles, and I want you to scare me. Before we get to our guest, I want to tell you to check out one of my favorite horror podcasts, Week in Horror. If you recall, one of their hosts, Eugene Hawkins, was once a guest here on our show. Let's check out the trailer. This is Week in Horror. With JL. Because everyone knows that Crystal Lake has an access <laughs> port to the Atlantic Ocean, which feeds back into New York City. <laughs> Alex. They're like, no, come here. And you're like, I'm going to go get hammered on Bourbon Street. And Eugene. You know, mm -hmm. the guy's chasing with the chainsaw, and all of a sudden the girl like trips, and she rolls over, and she's like, ah! She's dead. New episodes every Sunday, weekendhorror.net. Our guest today has been in some of the classic shows. Full House, The Wonder Years, Gary Shandling Show, but more importantly, and much closer to my heart, he was the original Ben Hanscom in Stephen King's It. Today, Brandon Crane talks to us about horror, fear, his time on set while filming the miniseries, and, just like Ben Hanscom, he starts to remember some spooky memories of his own. Hey guys, I'm Brandon Crane from Stephen King's It. I think I got turned on to horror from working on the original miniseries. That was the first horror, you know, novel that I'd ever read. So it, it caught my interest. And then right after that, I started getting into like, you know, the Sam Raimi staples, you know, the Evil Dead movies and then the trauma movies. And, um, you know, then you go through the whole Friday the 13th anthology I had this neighbor who was a couple years older than I was. So he was kind of like the ambassador to cool stuff. You know, he turned me on to different genres of music and, and, you know, different, different books too. I think, I think the first thing he gave me was the satanic verses, you know, by Salman Rushdie, which was totally controversial, um, you know, back in the day, but uh, he passed along it. And so I read that. And when I read that, I called my agent and said, if they ever do this, please let me know if they do it anytime soon, you know, because I, I really felt um, a strong connection with the character, Ben. And, you know, up until that point, I'd really only done comedy and I'd never really done anything that was, you know, a starring role. I was always co-starring role or, or a support or just guest starring, you know, a couple one-liners on a sitcom. I'd never had, you know, anything 
of that much substance. And I really wanted to try something new. So I was pretty shocked. It only took a couple months and I was auditioning for, you know, the miniseries. I was, yeah, I was totally stoked. So I read that first knowing full well, like, oh man, if they do this, I'm, I'm ready. We got to the point where it's family too. I mean, we'd work together six or seven days a week, you know, for months. And sometimes the relationships get strained. Sometimes we're tired. It happens with every sort of working relationship. But I mean, these guys and I, we all got along great. Really, really good friends. But like you said, you know, it's it's a little different now uh, than it is than it was then. I mean, back then we kind of did a job. There wasn't social media. There weren't really mediums to stay in touch unless you get on the phone. And that's kind of weird, right? You didn't have social media. Didn't have any of that stuff. No. So, um, so for the most part, we just did our job, had fun, casually kept in touch with letters. If you remember what those are. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And for like, I know Marlon, I, I saw Marlon once or twice afterwards at auditions, Jared Blanker too. Um, you know, our paths would kind of cross, but very casually. But nowadays, I mean, you know, the new cast, they, they're together. They're, I mean, they're, they're doing stuff together. They're, um, they're, they're able to take advantage of that, you know, friendship continuing right after work where, you know, we had to wait 27 years to get together at conventions. We were doing quite a few. Um, We had like almost full-blown reunions in the UK and in Germany. So we, we did the UK three times, I think, in the span of like a year and a half. It was like London Film Comic Con, um, did a show in Birmingham, did a show in Manchester. Um, so it's always great to see these guys. And, you know, it's always great to kind of get to stretch your legs and, and see a different part of the world too. It makes it really special, man, because these guys are, I don't know, the chemistry is the same as it was then. Like, for example, when I saw Marlon for the first time, it was in Atlanta. And it was like we picked up right where we left off. I mean, it was literally 26, 27 years later, but we were like instantly remembering all of the the jokes and, and things that, you know, we'd put behind us, things we'd completely forgotten about. It was cool. Like time in a vacuum, if that makes any sense. Our friendship was as real as the characters in the book. Tim Curry. I first met him on set. I met him um, when I was going down to shoot the lake thing where I, you know, he's trying to trick me into seeing my dad and the skeleton comes out of the, out of the lake. He had already shot his bit on the water. And so we were kind of like, we were kind of like passing ships. I mean, I was starstruck. I knew about Rocky horror. I mean, there was a, a TV show he was on that I really liked at the time. Hunt for Red October, I think, was still playing in the theaters. So, I mean, I, dude, I knew who this guy was. And, um, and he was really friendly, gregarious. And we just, we were passing ships. It was a very sort of casual, hello, goodbye. And, you know, we'd run into him from time to time. And then the few days when we were shooting the climax, um, he was a, 
pretty cool person to be around. And he had a lot of patience for us, which man, hats off to you when you're someone like that, someone with that esteem being forced to work with a bunch of hooligans. Yeah, no, no, he, uh, he was great. I mean, consummate, consummate professional, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the magic of the thing, you know, um, I'm glad I could take direction when I was a kid. I mean, it was very much, um, if it was going to be the thing that I did first that had the substance, like I was talking about, I, I was very fortunate because so much of Ben was just like me, like transient, you know, moving from place to place because the more work I was getting, the closer I needed to be to LA. But I mean, we started in San Diego and we used to commute, you know, daily to audition and, and do work. And then we moved to Orange County. So we were gradually, you know, taking steps, but I wasn't at any school for any longer than a year or two raised by single mom. Uh, I mean, there's so, so many layers of Ben Hanscom that were, you know, I was experiencing at the time, like, dude, even right down to the, the unrequited love, like that triangle, you know, when you're, your homie's got a crush on a girl or the girl's got a crush on your friend, but you're, but you've got a crush on the girl. It's totally unrequited and it's blind. And then, you know, I, I was living all of that. So it came very organically. It came very naturally because in many ways it was the truth for me. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite genre, and I wouldn't say I'm the most like well-versed. I mean, there's dude, there's so much content out there now. <laughs> when I go to these conventions, there are people that, you know, want to talk about certain things. And I'm, I feel like an imposter, you know, because I'm there representing, you know, my work from years ago and is like a casual fan of the genre. And they, they want to rap, you know, they, they want to rap the, the hardcore stuff. I only recently just watched Terrifier just so I could, you know, see what all the hubbub is all about with um, my buddy, David, uh, Howard Thornton, the, you know, Art the Clown guy. There are movies like Mama, things like The Ring, things that, that sort of pervert human movement, if that makes any sense, man. Like, to me, when you see something moving or behaving in a way that is unexpected or unnatural, uh, those are the ones that, that get me the most, I think. Especially things like Mama. Or, or like, you know, that, that scene in, in Blair Witch Project where, you know, you just see that, that person facing away from you, standing at the wall. I mean, just things like that that I, I, I find way more unsettling, compelling than some guy being, you know, ripped apart by a machete. I have a battle. I mean, there is a lot of me that that isn't into the supernatural, but there have been a few things in my life where I feel like I'm quite certain that I've experienced something. When I was a kid, I was in Boy Scouts and we did this, did a couple of events, right? Um, and one was kind of this famous overnight stay that you could do in an old, like an old building. And you get a merit badge for it if you spend the night there because there's no power, no nothing. And according to legend, it is 
you know, an insanely haunted place. I think it was called like Las Flores or, or something. I don't think they still do it now. Obviously we live in a completely different era. Um, but you know, there was that and, and you'd hear things close and creak and you know, you've, I, you feel pressure and it could all be in your head. It could be completely psychosomatic, but I remember feeling like something was sitting on me while I was sleeping or um, yeah. I mean, it just, that, that kind of broad, blanket of, of, of discomfort is what I experienced from, from that thing. And I felt like we weren't alone. Right. But one time there used to be these, they weren't like the California missions, you know, if you know what I'm talking about, I'm, I know that they have them in Texas too. Um, but there were also like little substations that they built in the early 19th century um, they were kind of like, you know, service depots and things. And so there was one way out in the middle of Eastern Orange County. We went on a, on a night hike and we went through there and we got strafed from the air by crows at night, which is not something no. you ever see. And I just remember our scoutmaster saying, run <laughs> let's get the hell out of here um and it was kind of creepy we felt like we were being watched the whole time and a lot of us had our heads down you know as we were like trying to make our way away from this thing and there was this like overlook that was probably a hundred yards away you know and we thought we saw figures like lit figures um, coming at us, like very small, but you know, like moving towards us. Okay. And we we're like, we're out, we're out. And I mean, if it was a human being, right, they would have had to have been wearing some kind of glow in the dark jumpsuit. I mean, that's yeah. the kind of vibrance we're talking about. I, I, I'm not, I don't know what it is. It could have been lights. It could have been, it could have been anything, but, and maybe we were already on edge, but we never went back. We did have a house in Escondido. And I don't know, like, if it was like the poltergeist situation, you know, where they like developed on top of a, of a burial ground. Um, but there was always weird stuff happening in my house, right? Inexplicable things. And, and not like, not overt. I mean, like, I didn't see things moving across my, you know, hallway. But things would always change position, right? Every once in a while, a door would close. Every once in a while, a door would open. Um, sometimes things would get moved. And I know for a fact, I mean, I was a latchkey kid and probably one of the last generations of kids that could do that, you know? I'm coming home from first grade with a key around my neck and I'm home by myself, right? I mean, that's just how it, that's how it was back then. Um, there, there was no campus club or after school daycare, right? You, you, uh, you either, you know, you had to go straight home and, and, and stay there until your parents got home. Um, but I would put something down. Like one time I, I had a drink and it ended up in like the most precarious position on my kitchen sink, like where I had just enough time to get to it, to stop it from falling into the sink. That's the only time that I ever noticed, remember something 
like that, you know, something that inexplicable and, and mysterious. There's always weird creaks and things like that in the house, but that was one instance where I felt like I wasn't alone. That's weird. You know, maybe there's medicine for that now. Maybe I was, you know, schizophrenic or I, I don't know, but it, it was interesting. And I remember making a conscious decision with, to play with my friend, Steven next door outside almost exclusively until we moved after that. It's all kind of coming back now. Well, it reminds me now we had two German shepherds and wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, we used to have a ceiling fan in the living room. I remember, I remember this now. Wow. These two dogs, beautiful dogs. Um, and we had a ceiling fan and, and I remember we replaced it with a kind of sconce that had a couple of different lights on it. Right. And I remember, I remember sitting in the, in the living room and the dogs were barking at where the fan used to be. And they were both looking at something spinning around. Like imagine them looking at the blade of a fan, Mm -hmm. but there's no fan, but they're both looking at the same thing in circles. I remember that too. Wow. Okay. Creepy. Now I remember. Thanks for jarring my memory, man. But then after that, like I, I'm pretty sure I lived um, places where nothing ever happened. Completely unremarkable. Wow, man. I'm, I'm even starting to remember like the layout of the house and everything. Oh, now I'm getting nostalgic. Oh, man. That was my house. Do you want to try to scare me? If you've had or have heard about a paranormal experience you'd like to share, or if the area you live in has a particularly scary legend or lore, I want to hear it. Send an email to scareme at albirobelesvoice.com. Scare Me is produced by Albie Robles Voice and features original music by Adam Clifton. Additional sound beds are provided by Stephen D. Voiceovers. You can follow us on social media. We are Scare Me Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For voiceover booking information or to inquire about having your own podcast produced, go to www.albieroblesvoice.com.